Hello and welcome back to the Panic Room podcast. Today we're going to be covering the case of Bible John. This is a really fascinating case and it's also close to home as the murders took place in Glasgow. Uh, when I first decided that I wanted to do this podcast, this was actually the case that I wanted to start off with. However, after starting my research for it, I kind of filled in a hole and there was just so much I wanted to cover. So I thought it'd be best to wait until the second episode. That way I can split it up into multiple parts and I don't really need to leave any of the details out. This case is also pretty heavy. So I'm just going to give a little trigger warning now before I play the main audio. We are going to be covering sensitive subject matter such as murder, violence against women and rape. So if that's something that you're sensitive towards, I'd probably suggest leaving this one out. With that being addressed, we've got a lot to cover on this one, so let's get into it. And welcome to episode two of The Panic Room. Hello, welcome back. Today I have Gay with me. Hello. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) And today we're going to be talking about Bible John, who, for those of you who don't know anything about this case, was a Scottish serial killer in Glasgow. So, do you know anything about this case? Um, yeah, Going actually. So, I bagsied being on this podcast. She actually did. This is like my one of my favorite like topics. Yeah, it's really interesting. Cooking, so, yeah, I like this one. She actually moved me, and she was like, "If you're in Bible John, I'm coming on the podcast." <laughs> and Alice was like, "I want to do this one." I was like, "No." Yeah, they were basically fighting over who wanted to do this case, but it is a really interesting case, so I can understand why. Yeah. Uh, well, a bitch has done her research. <laughs> like a lot of research, we've got a lot to get through. Um, it's probably been two parts as well, yeah. so just a little heads up. That you're, if you're here, you're here for the long run. <laughs> but let's get into it. So this is a cold case, so it's unsolved as of today. They don't have, no one's been incarcerated or found guilty of this crime. So as I said, Bible John was a serial killer in Glasgow in the late 1960s. He was actually only active for just a little over a year, from 1968 to 1969. And he lured his victims at the Barrowlands Ballroom, which at the time was a very popular venue for young people. He had three victims all in. All were young women with children, and the circumstances that were all found in were very similar. All three had been raped and strangled to death, and also all three women had been menstruating at the time of their murders. Which is so weird. How would he even have known? Yeah, literally. Like, obviously, they don't, they don't know if that was something, like part of his MO or part of his victim pool, the reason yeah. why. But it is really interesting that they were all menstruating at the same yeah, like, unless they straight up told them, like, unless they were, like, the only thing I can think of is they knew they were going home with them for Yeah, and maybe have been, like, and have, like, told them. Uh-huh. Well, that's an interesting point, because if they get onto the ba- the Barrowlands and its reputation, you'll, it's, yeah, you'll, that's, that'll get into it, so that's that could be. That's kind of how I pieced it together, but I don't know. Yeah, or... The only other explanation is just it's a really weird coincidence. Yeah. But we'll get into that as we get into the separate murders. Um, in each case, all three women's handbags had also been removed to crime scene, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Um, this all kind of suggests that he had a specific MO, which for those of you who don't know, MO stands for modus operand, and it's basically Latin for mode of operation. It's used in true crime cases to typically describe a certain pattern or procedure that a criminal regularly uses. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be important when we discuss the theories and 
the motive behind these crimes because since it is an unsolved crime, yeah. we don't have the murderer to question and yeah. to why he killed these women. Uh-huh. So it's all kind of speculation. Mm-hmm. So that that's important when we even, get to that. Even the crime, like the photo, is just off people's accounts. Yeah, the identity sketch that possibly the, saw. Yeah. So it might not even look like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the main identity sketch that used in this investigation was from it was from the last victim's sister, Jeannie Langford. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's one of the most credible witnesses in this case because she actually spent a prolonged time with the killer yeah. and her sister at the time yeah. of her murder. And as you said, I mean, it's mostly accurate, but she had been drinking that night yeah. and these things are never 100%. Mm-hmm. So, And even the redhead part as well. We don't know. Yeah, well, that comes into it a lot. I'm not going to, like, jump ahead too much, but when we talk about suspects, a lot of the kind of basis and debunking it is like, well, he didn't have red hair, so it couldn't be him. And it's like, well, I mean... Yeah, I know. It's all very strange. It is. It's it's a frustrating case. Yep. And I am excited to delve into this again. So am I. <laughs> Honestly, like, when I started researching against this, I was just, I was like, well, I don't want to say happy, Obviously, we're talking about murders here, yeah. but it was it was good to get back into it, and I learned so much more stuff this time around mm-hmm. than I did when I was just watching videos or reading about it. So with Bible John, you'll quickly realise that his victim count is relatively low compared to other serial killers. Mm-hmm. You actually need to kill three people to be classified as a serial killer, so he's yeah. kind of just made the mark. But what he lacks in his victim numbers, he makes up for in the fact that all of these crimes are so similar. Yeah, He had a really specific method and clean cut yeah they were all found in scarily similar circumstances Uh, the police investigated three main leads as well as a pool of other various suspects Mm -hmm. but ultimately as i said the case remains unsolved and to this day it actually stands as one of the most extensive manhunts in scottish history so that like puts into perspective just how big this case was this is a big big deal and they actually when investigating it there was a lot of firsts in terms of scottish police history Mm -hmm. Uh, when you talk about the identity sketch and the investigation, it brought a lot of first-time things happening in the history of Scottish police. Yeah. So, looking into the settings of the crimes, as I said, it took place in the Barrowlands Ballroom, which is in the east end of Glasgow at the Gallagate. If anyone is familiar with Glasgow, you'll know exactly where I am. The Barrowlands is actually still open. It's still yeah, an it's active still venue. Last time I was there was, I think it was 14, 15. It was 1975. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, well, that was no. a throwback. I went to see Asking Alexandra there. Big for like a lot of <laughs> bands that are not as famous, but getting there. It's kind of like... Yeah, or like it's really like, goth. Uh, it's like King Cuts. It's like definitely clothing. a stepping stone venue. Yeah. By the way, um, disclaimer, I seen Asking Alexandra when I was 14. I'm now 21. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's grown. Um... <laughs> But yeah, at the time, poverty was a really big problem in the city, mm-hmm. and crime rates were incredibly high. Yeah. Like, yeah. really, very, very high crime rates. That being said, most of the crime was systematic crime, so it was mainly gang crime in Glasgow. Yeah, like, um, kind of Peaky Blinders type things. Yeah, exactly. Not Peaky Blinders, but, you know, like You're not far off it, but I think it was it was the late 40s to early 50s with the whole Razor Gangs that you're thinking yeah, of Peaky Blinders. Razor Gangs, that's um, the And then it moved on to more kind of organised crime I'd say more mm. gang mentality um, I actually had the luck of speaking to my granny about that <laughs> who not only lived in Glasgow at the time but also frequented the barrooms ballroom she said she was a like regular every weekend she was there <laughs> which makes her like a primary source can I say yeah yeah that would I'd be say like, so she lived there she was if it was at that time 
Yeah, I did a kind of impromptu interview with her because I wanted to get an idea of what it was like living in Glasgow at the time. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'd read about it, but I'd be stupid not to ask her. She she was there, she was living through it. Yeah. Uh, she said the late 60s were great. She said things <sighs> were getting better. She said people were making more money, there was more jobs starting to come about. Mm-hmm. And saying that, she did say that they were all still very poor. Like, everyone yeah. was living... It was still all the tenements, so wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, she lived in Castlemilk in a tenements building. Yeah. She says at the time they didn't know anything different, but like she didn't view herself as being poor yeah. or living in poverty. Yeah. She said, to quote it lightly, wanted for nothing. They were never went hungry. They never wanted for nothing. Yeah, no. But looking back... They were never, back, like, spoiled, I guess. Yeah, but looking back, she said, we would be shocked at how we lived now. Yeah. And looking back, like, she can now look back and be like, well, we were poor. Yeah. But not in any way starving or homeless or any of that but it was pe- most the people way were Glasgow poor. was at the time yeah exactly I mean I'm not speaking from experience but I've heard that my gran talk about it and stuff but. yeah like outhouses and all that like that kind <laughs> of um, era uh, at the time of the murders she was our age she was 21 mm-hmm. which is so weird to think that that is strange that's a weird coincidence that I've been re- researching this case at the same age she was my papa was a little bit older he was 23 uh, she also lived a 10 minute walk from the Barrowlands and as mm-hmm. I said she was a regular her and her friends used to take tram cars, which aren't a thing anymore, but they no. were the main form of transport in Glasgow. Yes. That they're time. in Edinburgh again, but not Glasgow. Yeah, no, I know they're in Edinburgh, but... Um, and she said it was mainly the Barrowlands her and her friends went to. That yeah. was, like, the go-to place mm-hmm. for people in her age group. So it was really popular. Uh, she also told me that my papa got taken in for a line-up for it, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. And when I asked him about it, I was like, oh, like, what was that like? And uh-huh. he said, quote, it was no bad because he got a fiver for it. Oh, did he? <laughs> <laughs> and that was quite a lot. That was a lot in those days, so... But yeah, he was like, ah, it was no bad. <laughs> Got a fiver. And basically, he said him, mum, my gran, and my gran's mum were just walking down the barras, and the police just grabbed him and was like, we need you for a line up uh-huh. come in. He must have looked like, or they must have thought he looked like the... Was he not a redhead? Well? He bought... Well, I don't know, because he's got quite dark hair now, but um, I think he had fairer hair when he was young. Maybe not yeah. red, maybe more kind of auburn like your kind of... Uh, colour yeah um, mm-hmm. my uncle Davy also got taken in for questioning he actually got like taken in oh no that was a surprise twist that no 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 the surprise twist was my pal's my papa's pal's spider who actually got a card I, I was under the impression that, <laughs> yeah so I was under the impression that this because I remember my granny vaguely talking about it before I was under the impression that it was my uncle who got a card from the police but uh-huh. it was actually my papa's pal's spider which I'm assuming spider is not his actual name but they called him Spider. <laughs> Basically, he looked so much like the identity sketch that the police took him in for questioning so many times that they actually gave him a kind of like identification card saying like, I've been questioned. Oh, it's not, not Yeah. Oh, okay. So he got this card that he basically flashed <laughs> at the police every time he got lifted because he was oh, like, fun. I've been questioned. It's no me. Like, back off. I am not Bible John. I think so. Like, I just can't imagine that. But it shows just how much the city of Glasgow and the police force at the time were really trying grasp which laws try to catch this guy or find yeah. any leads mm-hmm. um, my papa just says at the time police were just picking up anyone even had a remote resemblance to the identity sketch walking mm-hmm. about uh, so as I said my gran had been going to the Barrowlands during the killings uh, she, she said that like at the start most of them still went even after the first murder mm-hmm. because they didn't kind of connect the dots and obviously they didn't know it was a serial killer because yeah. only one person had been killed However, she said after the kind of second murder and definitely after the third, most young people and most young girls especially were scared to go to dance themselves. Yeah, they, were they were getting their brothers or cousins or they were going in large groups because it was just terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I'd do the same. I, w- I don't think I would have stopped going. Yeah, I definitely I mean, would have. 
maybe. Depends. We all love going out on a Friday night. Um, when I asked her if there was kind of like a mass panic about the killings, again, she said, at first, not really. Mm-hmm. She kind of went into the whole thing about how Glasgow was a really violent place at the time. She said there was yeah. just really heavy gang presence. My papa told me that he used to actually just walk about town with a knife. Yeah. And when I asked him why, he said it wasn't to instigate violence, it was more for protection. He said all young yeah. boys at the time, they all carried knives in their boots or down their trousers or whatever. Yeah. It's just what you did at the time. Uh-huh. Which shows just how rife gangs were. I yeah. can't imagine having to leave my house with a knife. No. And we live in Cumbernauld. Like. Well, I mean, I know I do know a few people that have. But <laughs> yeah, well, I know, but most of those people are there to instigate violence <laughs> rather than protection. Uh, my gran actually said if the police ever stopped them, she would just hide the knife like dinner knickers. And then <laughs> when, after they left, my papa would put it back in his, his boot and so. Wow, nice. Uh, what, what a G-man, honestly. <laughs> that is young That's sort of That is a sort of loyalty you need in a relationship. Um, she also said that whenever there was a crime or a robbery or something, they all knew who'd done it. Like, yeah. they all knew, but they never told anyone it was yeah it was that kind of grass mid like snitches get stitches sort of mentality yeah not only that they were just a really close community and they didn't want like one uh, of their own to get in trouble yeah. with the police it was tighter knit back then yeah i think well as i've heard obviously i'm talking about as if this was like back in the 1900s this wasn't that yeah no when i was asking <laughs> my dad i was trying so hard not to offend her like because when i asked my papa about the lineup i was really interested in that because Having done my research, I knew that it was Jimmy Langford, who was the third victim's sister, who yeah. got called in with the lineup because she was the one that was obviously there with the guy that mm-hmm. we think killed our sister. And I actually asked my papa, oh, did they have two-way mirrors back then? Or did you see who... And he was like, of course they have two-way mirrors. What are you talking about? And I was like, well, I just I just think of my papa and my granny's um, generation when they were already just being ages away. But I mean, yeah. really, this case was only at 51 years ago. Yeah, it's not that long ago. But touching on the whole aspect of, you know, close-knit communities and not grassing, I actually asked her if it was possible that people knew who Dio John was and just didn't say because yeah. of that whole mentality. But she says, with a crime that bad, if people knew about it, he would have been killed in the streets. He would have been as good dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so she actually she wasn't so. from the area. Just to kind of get into your head how crimes like this differ from gang crime in the sense of how the communities took it. Mm-hmm. She gave two accounts. One of was of a real ass issue when she was younger. Yep. She was actually raped in a close. And Terrible. when the men in the street found out, they actually chased this guy down and beat him nearly to death. She said he was in the hospital for months and months. And after that, he was he fled. He was gone. Well, I have no sympathy. So well, I mean, I'd do the same. Well, probably not. I say I'd do the same. Well, you'd get but someone else to you, do the same. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to think if I had a older brother or something they would do the same yeah. um another time she herself was actually attacked she was walking through a alleyway or something to get to her granny's close and some guy actually grabbed her by the hair she managed to get away oh. uh, but when my papa's dad and my papa found out they actually went out in the street for hatchet when looking for them Fucking. that's it you can swear <laughs> <It's okay>. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about very heavy content a little swear word here and there's the least of our worries ha, rape me <laughs> fuck oh can i swear <laughs> But, um, yeah, so this was... People took this sort of thing seriously. Yeah. She also mm-hmm. talked about beat police, as she called them, which were basically street-based police inform- enforcement. Like community police, but, like, less gimpy. Well, they were, they were part <laughs> of... The, <laughs> community police, but less gimpy. They were part of, like, the main uh, police department. It was just the way they kind of distributed police officers. You'd have right. two set police officers for, like, two or three streets. Okay, yeah. So if you think of, like, the, the Kill Drum area, we'd have, like, two set police officers who were always on duty. And I see. Right, so okay. for that reason, the police knew everyone and everyone knew them. 
the two yeah. police officers that worked on my granny street, she said she was like really pally with them, like best pals, uh-huh. simply for the fact that her uncle Sani basically lived in Berlin, <laughs> and she knew them well from like you know yeah. arrests and stuff. Which again kind of gives off the idea that the killer probably wasn't from the area because, as I said, the police knew everyone. I mean, I say they knew each other, like it's not like they knew each other to a really close personal level, different from nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, nowadays I don't think police are even allowed to be stationed in the same area that they they live. Honestly, I'm not too sure. I've, I mean, probably for. I'm pretty sure that's how yeah. it works. Whatever um, constituency you come from, you, you're not. So if I was to join the police, I would have to work in Glasgow or Falkirk. I wouldn't be allowed to work in the Cumbernauld Police Force because. Yeah. I'm oh, from the area sense. and I know people. So yeah. I'd be more kind of biased, but that's the mentality anyway. Again, just to touch on the gang mentality at the time, another story she told me was one time, this is my Uncle Sani again. Oh, my great, he would be my great, great uncle. Mm. Her uncle at the time, eh, was out and he actually got jumped by a bunch of other gang members and he was really badly injured he was in the hospital for about four months the police actually sat by his bedside 24 7 waiting oh, really? for him to wake up to question him and when he did wake Jeez. up he just didn't give them any information he, no comment that he was like no didn't see don't know who it was got me from <laughs> behind blah 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 after he got out the next few weeks following mm-hmm. his release from the hospital mm-hmm. all the people that attacked him slowly ended up in hospital so essentially uh, he just yeah. went out one by okay. one and and got them, picked them, up. picked them up, and attacked them. She <laughs> said that's how things were handled back then. You didn't go to the police to solve altercations. You were, yeah, it was that whole done it yourself mentality of rival gangs hating each other, but you'd never get the police involved. You'd handle it, yeah, by yourself and stuff like that. So very violent gang and rife gang activity, but still a nice area. area. Yeah, well, she said it was a good community <laughs> and everyone was really friendly and everyone had each other's backs, but the gang violence Just was Just don't there. get mixed up with... Don't get mixed up with opposing gangs, I suppose. Yeah. It's not really like that now. Yeah. Well, no, not really. No. Not for, for the past 10 years, I'd say. It's it's relatively safe now. But um, that just gives you an insight of what Glasgow was like at the time, coming from someone who actually lived through it. So, back to the Barrowlands. As I said at the time, it's one of the biggest dance halls in the city. And it saw people from all over the area coming to it. However, it was mostly popular with the working class. Mm-hmm. And the venue hosted a variety of live acts, such as band entertainers, comedy acts, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. They also had themed nights. One of the most popular was the Over 25 Nights. Mm-hmm. And this was every Thursday. It's a weekly event. It's called the Palace Nights. But the locals known, like, knew it as Grab a Granny Night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like typical Glasgow yeah. humour. All three victims who went to the Barrowlands went went on a Thursday. Yeah. So all three women who were murdered were there on a Thursday night. So they were at this grab a granny night. This is important when we move on to the MO mm-hmm. and also when we look at the problems that the police faced when investigating the crimes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So touching more on this kind of grab a granny night, <clears throat> typically it was an unwritten rule that if you were going to Barrowlands on a Thursday night, it was for more than just a dance and a drink. You were you were going to pull. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Many married people would go on a Thursday night and get people who were not their spouses mm. and it was really common mm. for people to hide their wedding rings and use fake names for that sheer fact wow yeah so bit of a reputation <laughs> maybe not want to go if you're if you don't want to get rumours said so it's still going on now no <laughs> yeah but <laughs> um, it was also a common understanding that whatever happened at the Barrowlands on Thursday night it's forgotten about the next stays day stays in the Barrowlands yeah, what happens in the Barrowlands stays <laughs> in the Barrowlands and one night stands were not uncommon. Yeah, this is important, as I said, when we're going to talk about Bible John and the motive behind his murder, so why he was targeting women, specifically on this night as well. 
So let's get into the victims. The first victim was Patricia Docker. She mm-hmm. was 25 and she was the youngest out of the three women. Mm-hmm. Typically, with these cases, I like to kind of find out more about the victims, kind of get character statements, kind of go into their life before they were murdered. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. with this case not a lot of information about her or any of the victims could be found yeah i don't know if that's because of the the times because it was over 50 years ago many of her friends and family would be dead by now however i did find an article about her son who's now 44 and it was basically an interview done and he's it was on the 40th anniversary of his mum's death unfortunately because he was so young he can't really remember much about his mother he was four at the time yeah um but Mm -hmm. he did say he had kind of vague memories of her taking him to a park in glasgow and going out walks with her around the tip mm-hmm. city so i mean it's really sad but she was a nurse as well yeah yeah she really was a nurse. sad um so she was five foot three slim built with dark hair that was still in a bob she Ooh. she was married and also a mother as i said to a four-year-old son same as the other victims they were all mothers married so or separated. yeah i know it's obviously he's definitely got a type i think he was stalking them before I couldn't find anything about that, but now that you mention it, it could be plausible. Because there's just some stuff that you wouldn't know unless... Because they all have children. Yeah. Because he might have had, like, a... A fetish for married women or... Women with children. Yeah. I mean, that is an interesting part. I couldn't find anything um, on whether he stalked his victims. I think a lot of people just assume that he went to the Badlands and just picked up random people. A lot of the stuff I see is speculation as well, and me just trying to, like, piece stuff together yeah. um not saying it's hard evidence <laughs> me and my overactive imagination <laughs> we are not detectives <laughs> if you couldn't already tell but yeah as you said she was a nurse she worked at the victoria infirmary and at the time of the murder she was actually living with her parents because she was currently going through a separation with her husband mm. and her parents place where she lived with them was 29 langside place her husband, Alex Docker, was actually seven time in the Royal Air Force mm-hmm. and he was away on duty in the south of England at the time of her murder. He actually wasn't contacted by police about his wife's murder until a few days after her body was oh, found. Which I can't imagine rough. getting that phone call. I know they were separated and stuff, but it's still, still rough, like, yeah. that's rough. Horrible, horrible. Um, the night she went missing, she'd actually told her parents that she was going to Majestic in Hope Street, which was like another kind of dance hall old-fashioned style night nightclub yeah. area. Oh, a line about where she's going. Well, it's yeah. actually unclear if she did go to the Majestic and then maybe moved on to the Barrowlands. Yeah. However, as you said, it is likely she lied about her whereabouts because of the reputation of the Barrowlands on her yeah, Thursday night. Yeah, that's possible. They might have just been quite a snobby family. Yeah, I mean... I'm, well, it's I, don't not, I don't even think it's more about snobby because in those days, unwed mothers or women who were divorced, it was still very much frowned upon. Yeah, that's true. And if you had a baby at a wedlock, you were... I mean, a lot of people got sent away in those days for that sort of thing. Mm. It, was a, it was a stigma of the times. Um, so it could be likely that she just didn't want mm-hmm. people talking about her, which I understand. But yeah, I mean, that's true. But... So her body was found in the early Friday morning of February 23rd, 1968, by a 67-year-old joiner called Maurice Goodman. Okay. So Maurice came across the body whilst he was on his way to work. He was actually taking a shortcut through Carmichael Place, mm-hmm. which is over an hour walk away from the Barrowlands. Mm, that's far away. Weird, but it could just be he was walking with her and then decided to just murder at some random location. I don't think he walking would have killed her. Hour, 
I don't think he would have killed her and then moved her body in, uh, over an hour away. Yeah. So it's most likely that the crime scene was that was the main um, scene. So Morris initially thought the body was just a drunk who was passed out. Mm-hmm. However, he said when he nudged the body with his foot, he realised that it wasn't moving. And he described the body as being cold, saying it was like touching a block of ice. It is. I have. That's going to sound weird. Yeah, I've touched <laughs> dead bodies, but only Please because... clarify before you make that yeah, statement. <laughs> right, okay. So I've done nursing. So I had like placements in like care homes mm-hmm. and hospitals and stuff. So yes, can clarify. It's the weirdest feeling ever. And see if it's in a room, the room goes cold. Like That's cold. Creepy. Cold and eerie and dead. Like, no. it's weird. No. It's fucking fucked up. my skin crawl. <laughs> uh, so right away, he runs home and calls the police. He'd actually thought that the body originally belonged to a man. Oh, right. Which is an interesting point. I mean, it doesn't, it's not really important to the case, but I just thought it was an interesting thing to add. And he clearly was in a state of shock. Yeah. Either that or he just didn't take a good look because, I mean, I think if I found a dead body, I wouldn't be... Five foot three? Yeah. He must have been like, that's a short man. Yeah, well... I mean, in those days, I don't think... Well, no, yeah, I suppose. Height wouldn't be different, would it? No, people in Were the past have been short because, like, oh, I guess. and stuff, but yeah... yeah. So the next part is actually infuriating to me and it annoys me so much because obviously the first 24 hours of any crime is crucial for things like eyewitness testimony, yeah. DNA, tracking the suspect, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And this initial investigation, this was not the case. Okay, mm-hmm. Could have been a sign of the times. Criminal profiling and forensics was very much in its infancy. Mm-hmm. However, the police, I feel, are partially blamed even from just the first report of there being a body in Carmichael Place, just because of the way they handled it, okay? So, as we know, Morris phones the police after immediately finding the body. Now, the police didn't take much concern of this because they thought it was just a drunk that died of exposure in the streets. Yeah, okay. Which, Glasgow, Friday morning after a night out, it's not uncommon to find <laughs> drunks in the street of an aftermath of a night out, right? We've all, we've all seen it. We've all been there. However, in my opinion, even if you didn't think it was a murder victim, it was just some drunk that was passed out in an alleyway, Obviously, they went to know this was going to be the start of a serial killings. They didn't know that this was going to be turned into such a big Same. media frenzy yeah. and such a serious crime. In the same breath, but I feel like if there's a body on the streets, you're going to want to get there as soon as possible to cordon off the area. Yeah. Even just the sheer fact that like a body's out in the open and anyone can just walk past it. And touch it in some way and or move anything, destroy or steal evidence or like do you know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. not ideal. Mm-hmm. Like finger, but even down to like fingerprints in the body. If yeah. someone else touches the body, that's like no, the evidence is completely yeah. But as I said, police saw this report of a body so insignificant. They okay. took this report so not seriously that it actually took two traffic police officers to then stumble upon the body for a second time for police to actually go down to Carmichael Place and see what was going on. Jesus, I didn't so know not that. yeah. So not only did your man Maurice see this woman. Call into place as a body here, and they're like, Yeah, well, we'll get to it. Hangs up the phone. And then another call comes in from this wow. traffic police, and they're like, All right, well, lads, we've got to go down. These, like, do you know what I mean? It's just that like, is like the. That is funny and about that to be is just That is just. Uh, that I is irritating. Why that would is. you not go down? Surely that's like main priority. Yeah, for... a body on the streets. Like, even just to get rid not get it. Well, yeah, get rid of that. Get yeah, it away yeah, from so the public eye yeah. or cordon off so you can't, as you said, fingerprints and stuff. So, first detectives to arrive on the scene was at 8am and straight away realised this wasn't just some drunk that had died in the cold. Duh. Well, yeah, they got there a little bit sooner. 
Um, Patricia was found lying on her back with her head turned to the right. She was completely nude apart from one single shoe. And upon further inspection of the body, police investigators have determined that Patricia had been beaten, raped and strangled to death. Even her dignity as well, just yeah. lying naked. Well, that's another thing, yeah. That's horrible. Especially because she was lying down on her back, so it was very much everything was out. It wasn't yeah. as if... Because when I first read the thing about Maurice thinking that it was a, a male body, I thought, well, maybe she was on her, lying on her front and maybe... Mm-hmm. You know, but... Uh, Who knows? Poor, poor lassie. Yeah. Uh, now, some reports suggest that she'd been strangled for her own stockings. However, police were unable to find a leg of her at the scene. This could mm-hmm. have been because the car took it with him. But they actually theorised that she was strangled with a belt uh, just because of the marks on found in her neck. It would correlate more with a, a, a belt, belt strap. Than, yeah. No personal belongings were found at the scene, no clothing, not even a handbag. And it was presumed that the car had either disposed of these or kept them as some sort of trophy from the murder, which is not unheard of in serial killings. A lot of them like to take personal items belonging to the victim as a sort of sick trophy. Uh-huh. So they can kind of relive the crimes. It's really, I've read that the her handbag and her watch was found, but nothing else. That was later on. I'll get into that. They found them in the river later on when they inspected right, the general okay. area. But at the actual crime scene, none of her personal belongings were, apart from the shoe that she was wearing. Uh, the police did find a sand pill near the scene. And once the coroner mm-hmm. had reviewed the body, he was able to determine that she was menstruating at the time of her death, which mm-hmm. was already established by all with. So weird. Weird, very weird fact. Uh, her body was found only a few yards away from her house at her parents' home in 29 Lang- Langside Place. This factor, including the others that I just mentioned, would later show up with the other victims. So as I said, they were all very similar and it gives an insight into the killer's MO. Mm-hmm. So police began interviewing people in the surrounding houses. They did record a report from a woman whose description ma- matched that of the victim, mm-hmm. saying that she saw her entering a car. Right. And another neighbour reported hearing a woman shouting, leave me alone. Okay. However, at the night of the murder, there was a journalist that was thrown a party and neither him or any of his guests reported seeing or hearing anything suspicious that night. Mm. And people out in the street could have just been people from this party. Yeah. Either travelling to or from. Might not have heard though, because music and yeah, people well, smoked what, inside at that time, so no yeah, one would be outside smoking. That's what anything. I thought when I read that, but... Who knows? So, despite the police finding Patricia's body, she still hadn't actually been identified at this point. Now, news of the body is quickly spread in local newspapers. Two nurses at Patricia's work actually went to go identify the body because they actually thought it could have been one of the patients okay. who had managed to kind of leave the hospital or escaped and died of exposure. Now, obviously, remember, the police hadn't disclosed the way in which Patricia had died. died. So, uh-huh. a lot of people just thought maybe it was someone that, had, you know, as I said, died of exposure. So these two nurses actually went down to view the body. Right. Right, this part's really sad, but due to the severe injuries to the victim's face, they were unable to identify her. Uh, and they were unaware that it was Patricia's body that they'd just viewed. Uh, so they had no idea this was their dead colleague that they were viewing because, as I said, her face was just completely... Probably friend as well. Like, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, your work friend, you see them yeah. every day, you build close relationships with it wasn't until an ambulance driver who worked at the Victoria Infirmary recognised Patricia as a nurse who he'd worked with mm-hmm. that police were able to put a name to the body. So it was this ambulance driver who came forward and identified her. Now in saying that, they obviously knew who she was. The family still didn't know that Patricia had been found dead. Seriously? It was her father who actually contacted the police first. They didn't contact him. 
Wow. Don't know why that was. Maybe lack of records or they just weren't arsed. I don't understand why. If you had a name to the, the body, you wouldn't immediately go out and contact the family. Yeah. But anyway, he ended up contacting police first. He'd actually seen a description in a paper that a body had been found. Mm-hmm. And since him and his wife hadn't seen her since the night before she went out, out. They, obviously, she said to them that she went to the Majestic, so they assumed she'd just gone to Majestic, stayed at a friend's house, and she would turn either the next day or whatever. Because mm-hmm. she was a grown woman at the end of the day. It's not as if she was a teenage girl. They just kind of yeah. trusted her to do her own thing. Uh-huh. Um, however, they still hadn't heard from her. So he headed to the police station with a photograph of her, mm-hmm. and it was there that he identified the body in the morgue as his daughter. Which, cannot imagine that. That no, heartbreaking. That's actually awful. That's something that just sticks with you, doesn't it? But... Mm. The second part of the investigation, again, proved some difficulty. First off, as we established, Patricia told her parents that she was going to Majestic at night. We now know, in fact, that she was at the Badlands. However, I saw police focusing their investigation at the wrong location for weeks. Like, weeks. They were interviewing, asking people at the Majestic. Yeah, they weren't getting anything. They weren't getting anything because she wasn't there. Um, They also found it difficult to gather witness statements as the people they were questioning had been on a night out, so they'd been drinking mm-hmm. and weren't the most reliable sources. One example was a statement given by a man who claimed he was actually dancing with Patricia at the Majestic that night, only he retracted his statement seven days later saying he'd confused it with a different night, a Lying. different date. Fucking lie. So, <laughs> not, not the most ideal situation in gathering no. testimonies and eyewitness statements. By the time police had worked out that Patricia had in fact been at the Barrowlands that night, the trail had essentially gone cold. It'd been weeks since the murder. Yeah. It is entirely possible that Patricia did go to the Majestic that night and then moved on to the Barrowlands later because the Majestic closed at half ten, but right, the Barrowlands okay. stayed open till twelve. Right. So she could have very right, well like have please. gone, um, yeah, like please, or she just didn't want to go home and didn't want the night to end, so she ended up going to the Barrowlands for an extra few hours, mm. but... None of the witnesses interviewed from that night at the Barrowlands remember her leaving with anyone or seen her leaving with anyone. However, it is stated that she was seen dancing with several men, one of which had notably red hair. And this right. obviously comes up with the description of Bible John. Um, this was noted, but at the time it wasn't that conclusive because red hair, especially in Scotland, it's not an uncommon feature. It's Sadly. Yeah. Uh, well, I do like gingers, but I hate that it's a stereotype. <laughs> I mean, well, it's a stereotype, but it's also, like, true. There's just more imagine, like, going. a fat, like, curly-headed ginger man was wearing a kilt. Like, yeah, like, you stereotype, your stereotypical, like, Scottish man. <laughs> Police also looked into trying to find her clothes as a lead. She was reportedly wearing a yellow knit dress the night of her murder and a grey duffel coat with a blue fur collar. These were never located. They never found her clothes. Oh, really? They did find her bracelet and our watch and our handbag in the River Clyde. So that was okay. found later on as they kind of combed the area for... Yeah. So maybe the killer threw it in the river. Yeah, I can't see them being very careful with their stuff after they've just murdered Especially her, if so. they've left them like a panic and you're just trying to get rid of everything so you're not connected to it. But without any substantial evidence, the police were unable to make headway with the case. And also without being able to identify her movements after leaving the Barrowlands that night, the case grew cold. And police basically just assumed this to be a one-time act of murder, some sort of domestic that went horribly wrong and that was just kind of chalked up to that. Moving on to our second murder. Our second victim was 32-year-old Jemima MacDonald, also mm-hmm. known as Mima, to friends and family. She was an unmarried mother of three children. She had a 12-year-old daughter, Elizabeth MacDonald, and two sons, Andrew MacDonald, 9, and Alan MacDonald, 7. 
and they all live together in the flat in 15 McKeith Street in Bridgeton. Just to give you kind of idea of what sort of person Mima was, a character statement from a neighbour said, Mima was a lovely girl, a smashing lass who didn't deserve the life she had or to die in such terrible circumstances. She was a loving mother with three lovely kids. Ah. So that just tugs on your heartstrings. It's honestly so sad. And the fact that like they're all mothers as well, I feel like that just makes it even more yeah. heartbreaking. They're all young children as well. Yeah. The night of her disappearance, Mima left her three kids in the care of her sister Margaret, mm-hmm. who actually lived across the landing from her. Right. Just to put it in some sort of kind of timeline, this took place eighteen months after the initial murder of Patricia Rocker. So that's a long that time. That is a long time. And you see here with a lot of serial killers, uh, the gap between the first and second murder is often a lot longer than the other ones. Right, okay. Either from a state of shock or the initial panic of killing someone, kind of wanting to lay low for a while. It's not uncommon in serial killers. Yeah, so they don't get found out as a serial killer. Mm-hmm. And then right. as it kind of goes on and they kill more people, they find it harder to fight the ur- their urges to kill. kill. Mm-hmm. And then near the end, it's like they're killing every week, every month. Like, yeah. Diff- obviously it differs in, it, in wavelengths with different killers but majority of them kind of follow that pattern also because it was so long after the first murder despite Patricia's murder not being found some time had passed so like the kind of fear of a killer being on the loose had faded at this time people had kind of forgotten about it Yeah. Uh, so they weren't really as on as high of alert so Mima had actually headed out on her own to the dancing this night this is something she did um, often because a lot of her friends were married and just didn't want to go to the Barrowlands on Thursday night because obviously Thursday nights was for pulling and majority of them had husbands so they weren't really interested in that Yeah. so she went on her own not good but oh. the next morning uh, when she failed to pick up her kids from her sisters her sister Margaret was instantly worried mm-hmm. later on that day she'd heard from local kids talking about a body being found in a nearby abandoned building uh-huh. But she initially ignored this because she thought she was just overthinking and just didn't want to assume the worst. They've all been there and just thought, well, I'm just panicking. And eventually... It would turn up. It turns out fine. Yeah. And by August 18th, two days after Mima had initially left the dance and she was still missing and her sister was frantically worried. Mm-hmm. She decided she was actually going to go and search this abandoned building herself. And it was there she came across. What she... First, she thought it was a shop mannequin lying Aww. on like a, a bed, mm. like a bed recess. However, upon closer look, she identified the body of that of a thirty-two-year-old sister, Joanna McDonald. Oh, imagine finding your sister's body in that state as well. Oh God! So that's heartbreaking and horrible. Mm-hmm. Similar to that of Patricia, the first victim, Jemima had been beaten, raped, and strangled. This time, she had been strangled by her own stalking, and police were able to confirm this. Okay. Um, Jemima was this time was actually found with her clothes at the scene. Okay. Unlike the first victim who was found completely nude, her dress, blouse and underwear had all been torn to initiate in some sort of fight or struggle. Yeah. Her heels and jacket were also found at the scene, but again, her handbag was missing along with all its contents. So a theme here with yeah. handbags. Do you think he's been like stealing their money, like like credit cards and stuff? So that, feel... so that like credit cards and stuff were, or like bank cards, I don't know, is that a thing? Probably. Maybe, I don't know. But like identification I, cards, it could be so they couldn't be identified, and it took the police longer. But I think just because of the whole sexual motive behind this, yeah. I think it was more a kind of trophy. Yeah, a lot of these killers take things like pieces of clothing, handbags, because it gives them that kind of kick. It's like a a mental stimulant for them. Oh yeah, because at the end of the day, these people are yeah. killing because they enjoy killing. Yeah. that's the difference between them and other people who just murder for 
I don't know, robbery's gone wrong or domestic. It's yeah. It's it's and it's kind of the, the the thrill of hunting down people and it's completely it's like fucked a game. up. But yeah, it's literally like a game to them. Um, and again, Asandra Till was found at the scene and she too was menstruating at the time of her death. So police were able to confirm that Jemima had been drinking at Betty's bar before heading to the Barrowlands and was reportedly seen chatting to a red-haired man. Mm, Interesting, this whole idea of a red-haired man keeps on coming up in this case. Yeah. She was also later seen leaving the dance hall with that red-headed man. Mm. So, pretty strong basis to assume that this is our killer. The police were able to gather witness statements on the appearance of this man. And he was described as a slim young man between the ages of 25 to 30. Tall, around 6 foot to 6 foot 2 mark-ish. Sharply dressed in a blue suit with hand-stitched lapels and a white shirt. Mm. So fancy, kind of expensive clothing. Mm -hmm. He had reddish auburn hair. And those who described him said he seemed... A bit too high class to be hanging about in that area. Right. Between the way he was dressed, kind of the way he was acting, mm-hmm. again, further perpetuating that theory that he wasn't from the area. Mm-hmm. Might have been like a working class fetish as well that he had. Yeah, that yeah, that, that could be a thing as well to take into consideration. So, as I said, police likely determined he wasn't a local of the area, nor was he a regular at the dance hall either, because that sort of person would kind of stick out. So the couple were reportedly seen leaving together and mm-hmm. turning right onto Bain Street and then right. west onto London Road. Okay. They eventually ended up at James Street after taking a shortcut. And then this whole journey would have taken around 20 minutes. So it gave the police a kind of idea of the timeline of her whereabouts what after happened? she left the, mm-hmm. the dance hall. One neighbour did report to hear loud screams from a tenement building close by, but they were unable to pinpoint a time slot for this. Mm-hmm. So now we get into the initial investigation. Now we've got two murders. So after the second murder, this is when the police started looking in more into the case more seriously because they now had two victims who had very similar circumstances in the mm-hmm. way they were killed, the way they were found. Uh, now, they would they were actually worried that a lot of witnesses would be hesitant to come forward due to the reputation that the under-25s might have. As I said at the start, the kind of general consensus was grab a granny night. <laughs> a lot of people didn't want to talk about it or didn't want even even to admit they were there on a Thursday night. So this, yeah. this really hindered the investigation. People don't want to be tied to stuff like that as well. Like. In those days as well, it was like, just, it was just a no-go area. Kept to yourself. Yeah, it was very much frowned upon. This was actually such a big problem when they were investigating it that they actually put out an appeal to the general public saying that all information would be kept entirely confidential. Uh-huh. And nothing would, no names or anything would be released to the press, to mm-hmm. media or whatever. Uh, they actually went so far to make this appeal in person in the Barrowlands. They actually went on a Thursday night and silenced the band. Oh my god. And then police police officers basically got up on stage and made the announcement to the whole like if anyone has any information about these whereabouts, your identity will be kept safe. We just need to get information information about this. Despite this confidentiality agreement, police were still struggling to find people to come forward. Mm-hmm. To try and tackle this, Jemima's parents offered a hundred pound reward to anyone with compelling information regarding the case. Which was a lot of money in those days. Yeah. Uh, but still, nothing arrived. So, really frustrating circumstances this case falls under. Yeah. I feel like if it was any other night, you, they wouldn't have found half of the problems that they did. There was a report from a woman called Julia Taylor who came forward. She said she was confronted by a man at the Barrowlands Ballroom who made her feel uncomfortable. Okay. Stating that he, quote, behaved threatening towards her. Alright. However, not much came about this. Uh, it was 10 weeks after the murder and investigators were kind of starting to draw similarities between the two murders mm-hmm. and kind of get a built-up profile. Yeah. So just to kind of go over that, both had met the suspect at the Barrowlands on a Thursday night, at the over 25 night. Mm-hmm. Both were dark-haired women with children between the ages of 25 to 30. Mm-hmm. Both had been raped and strangled. 
both of the victims' handbags and their contents were taken away from the scene of the crime. Yeah. And both women had been menstruating at the time of their murders. And their sanitary pads were also found near the bodies. So okay. they'd removed them and placed them at the crime scene. So like folded up or just like... No, just like sat like, down on the ground. Yeah. Uh, both bodies were found in close proximity to their homes. Mm-hmm. And with all this, police were able to kind of understand not only the victim profile, but the MO of the killer. Yeah. Which again, because they were found so close to their homes, the women might have thought they were going for sex. Yeah, and also the killer wasn't an immediate threat to them, clearly. Yeah. They clearly allowed them to walk them home. They, yeah. they willingly, you know, walked with them in the streets on the I way home. I think we can agree it was, like, intended to be a one-night stand. Yeah, well, women. that, yeah. I think that would probably be the route that it was going towards, yeah. if not, if this man hadn't decided that he was going to kill them. I think it, that was God. probably why they were with him. Yeah. Um, so along with the victim profile and eyewitness testimony, the police contacted Deputy Director of the Glasgow School of Art okay. to compile an identity sketch of the suspect. Mm-hmm. And this was released to all major press in the city. And this has became like a staple of this case. This infamous sketch of Bible John. And yeah. As I said, well, as my papa said at the time, they were grabbing everyone and anyone they could that even looked remotely similar to this sketch. Yep. And for questioning. And you can Google it, just Bible John identity yeah. sketch. Or even if you just Google Bible John, it's one of the first yeah. pictures that come up. I don't want to sound like one of those weird, like, TikTokers, but I think he looks quite dashing. Well, yeah. In that well, photo. <laughs> it's, no, it's like a Ted Bundy situation. Yeah, definitely. And I think it was definitely a case of he was very charming and very yeah. handsome. I mean, a lot of them described him as, like, tall, you know, all these expensive Gender. suits and, like... So I think it was easy for him to get these women to come home. I don't think yeah. he had to try much in the sense of getting women to come home with him. Because no. I think he was very attractive, very charming. I don't know why I said dashing, but I feel like it fit. In the time period, like <laughs> dashing young man. But yeah, I, I think that plays into it. Like Ted Bundy, the reason why he had so yeah. many victims is because he was, he was good looking. He was a fucking monster, but he was good looking. And he was very charming. Uh-huh. And he was able to get these women to put trust in him. Because yep. no one, when you think of serial killers, you think of these hideous horrible you know monsters and they are but that doesn't mean they can't look appealing on the outside yeah plus he had a wife that he never murdered so yeah um but this was actually the first ever case of a suspect uh, sketch in the whole of scottish crime history Mm -hmm. remember when i was telling you this case brought up a lot of firsts for the scottish police and scottish crime Uh, police actually had to be granted permission from the crown office in edinburgh before releasing this to the public so this was like a big deal at the time yeah with the release of the sketch and mass media attention, still no leads were materialised. Mm-hmm. So even with the big spotlight that was shown in this case, still nothing was coming forward. Yeah. And now we move on to the third murder. Arguably one of the most important murders in sense of what it brought to the police investigation. Okay. And we'll get into that. Both the DNA evidence and the crucial eyewitness statements that were gathered from this mm-hmm. built up a lot of the investigation yes. when looking at this crime. And this murder is the one that's brought up most when we talk about leads and suspects and potential theories mm-hmm. so our third and final victim was helen puttock she was 29 years old and she was a mother of two david puttock who was five years old and michael who was described as just being an infant i couldn't get an exact number of his age but mm-hmm. he was a baby basically a yeah. wee baby so again very young children mm-hmm. she was married to george puttock and he was a 10-year veteran in the corporal british army the couple had only recently returned to scotland because they were actually previously living in germany Okay. as part of George's army stationing. And they were actually taking up temporary residence at Helen's mother's house in Scotsdale. Mm-hmm. 
She attended the Barrowlands again on a Thursday. It was the 30th of October 1969. She actually went for her sister. And this is crucial to the evening events because Helen's sister, Jeannie, spent the majority of the night with, with him. him and her sister. So arguably this is the most credible eyewitness that we have in this whole entire case. She spent uh-huh. hours with him. And even then she was intoxicated. To be fair, when you get onto what she describes to police and when she's questioned, she recounts a lot of... She's Maybe not being that think, drunk. I don't think she was that drunk. Yeah. Um, Helen's husband was actually hesitant for her to go out because of what had been happening with these yeah. killings and the mass media attention. She should have listened. But the girls reassured them they'd be fine because they were together. Mm. And they didn't think that it was a big deal because they were like, oh, it's fine, we're both, mm. we've, we're both each other, we'll keep each other's backs. Safety in numbers, that kind of mentality. Yeah. And ironically, I don't want to victim blame, but she did end up leaving her sister with a strange man. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know, maybe she weren't thinking or... As we said, this guy could have been so charming. She felt at ease and didn't think to yeah. anything of that. I mean, we can't blame anyone. Like. Yeah, like you're not. It's not anyone's fault. George was the first one to kind of peak, um, you know, concern. Uh-huh. Uh, when Helen didn't arrive home by two a.m., he continued to worry about her whereabouts until about three a.m. and then yeah. he fell asleep. So, oh. the next morning, Helen's body was found by a dog walker oh. in the back of a garden of a flat in Arrow Street. She was found this time face down. Her clothing had been torn and she had obviously, again, been beaten, raped and strangled for stalking. Mm-hmm. Her handbag, again, was missing from the scene. It's like really repetitive, Yeah. the way these bodies are found, but yeah. it, it goes to show just how... This was like a textbook serial killer. Yeah. This time, however, although her handbag was missing, the contents had been scattered all over the ground. Okay, so that's another small difference. Everything yeah. else is the same, but it's another small difference. Like change yeah. up, as if he's trying to throw people off, or when we get into the and timeline, he's like playing mind games or something. Like, yeah. I don't know. When we get into the timeline, it could have been a case of he had to flee the scene. Okay. Uh, but we'll get into that when we talk about the kind of timestamps of the night. Yeah. Um, there had been an indication of struggle, so she, like she fought, she fought back. I'm sure yeah. they all did, but there was like a significant sign of struggle with this last victim. Okay. There was grass stains on her feet. Mm-hmm. Um. And closer examination of the body found a distinctive bite mark on her wrist. Some reports say it was her leg or her ankle, but most say it was her wrist, wrist. so I'm going to go with wrist. Okay. Uh, this is very important. Yes. And I'll get into why. It um, is. Very another important. very important detail about what they found at the scene of the crime. There was a scene stain found on the stocking ligature that was around her neck. Uh-huh. This is crucial because it's physical Semen. DNA evidence. Yes. Uh, that wasn't found at the first two crimes. No. However, it should be noted this was in the late nineteen sixties, going on to the seventies. Not the most advanced time yeah, for forensic. profiling yes. was not very advanced at no, all. It was mainly fingerprints. Yeah. And a couple of days, but it was very much I actually wrote an essay on that, but anyway. Oh did you? That's yeah, for uni. Yeah. Um and again her sanitary pad had been found at the scene placed under a rampart. Mm-hmm. So when George woke up the next morning there was actually a police van outside his house mm-hmm. and when he approached the officer to tell them, like, look, my wife hasn't returned home last night, I'm really worried, they actually asked him what she was wearing when she left the previous night before Okay. and after they told him that, the police were able to confirm with him that oh. it was the body of his wife, 29-year-old Helen Puttock. That's awful. So, as I said, because Helen's sister had been with her most of the night, mm-hmm. they had a detailed account of the night's timeline. So just to break down that timeline of the night from Helen's sister Jeannie. The two sisters left Helen's mother's home to head to the dancing 
They stopped at a local pub for a few drinks and arrived at the Barrowlands at around 10pm. Okay? Okay. At some point, they met two men and began dancing and drinking with them. Now, it's unknown if the two men were acquainted, but it was clear that one of them was definitely the killer. Okay. Okay? This is interesting because some theories that we'll get into in the second part suggest that the murders were maybe committed by more than one killer. However, I find this very unlikely just because they were so similar. Yeah. It could be the method of killing, the lack mm. of handbags, all the different kind of similarities. I find it hard to believe that it's more than one, but never say never, you don't know. Yeah. Uh, could be copycats. Yeah, well, that's another thing. Yeah, it could have been a copycat killer. Uh, one of the men was described as sharply dressed, again, red hair, mm. and went by the name of John. Now, apparently, he bumped into Helen and struck up a conversation, and that's how they got talking. But another account st- states that he initially approached Jean because uh, she'd lost some money in one of the cigarette machines and he like went over to help her or something. I see. Um, but regardless of how they got talking, the men stayed in the woman's company for the rest of the night. Both yeah. of them. Okay. So the two sisters left the dance hall in the company of the two men. After leaving, the sisters and the red-headed man named John departed company with the other man. Mm-hmm. So he left. I think he was going to get a bus home or whatever. Okay. So these two sisters were left with the red-headed suspect, John. The three got a taxi and they planned to drop Jean off first at her home in Knightswood. Yeah. And then Helen in Scottsdale where the parents, because remember she was living with the parents. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, the taxi driver was questioned, the taxi driver was found and he was questioned and he confirms that Helen and John were both dropped off at an address in Errol Street around 1am. A similar individual matching the description of the John suspect was seen with a bruised, scratched face and a dis- dishevelled state getting off a bus about half one heading towards the River Clyde Ferry. Alright. So that would put the time of death at around 1 to one thirty. so a very small window. That, half an yeah, hour. Uh-huh. Probably less than half an hour if he had time to go then catch a bus. And, yeah. You know. Jean's yeah. uh, recollection of the night was not completely clear as we touched upon she had been drinking. She told the investigators that the suspect had said his name was either John Templeton, John Templeton or John Emerson. And that he was unmarried and lived in Castle Milk. Really scary because that's where my grand grew up at those times. Yeah. That was my that was where my grand lived. Mm-hmm. But again I met him if he actually did. But then again, I really don't think that he was from the area. And I think there's quite a lot of evidence to suggest that he wasn't. Yeah. So So he was around twenty five to thirty, near six foot, slim belt, red hair again, and blue greyish eyes. He also apparently had an overlapping tooth. Jean had mentioned, like, one of his teeth was kind of overlapping on the other. Yeah, uh-huh. And this correlates with the bite mark on Helen's wrist. Yep. He had trousers that had no turn-ups or cuffs. He smoked embassy cigarettes. He also spoke in a Glaswegian accent, but in a mannered way. So, so like, posh? Posh-ish, yeah. More posh than your typical kind of Glaswegian. So, kind of like us? Because yeah. I feel like we're not very Glaswegian, but we still have that, you Yeah, definitely, yeah. But I feel like we probably talk more in our accent rather than if you were to you know meet someone from like Castlemock or someone Mary Hill exactly <laughs> they, they talk really thick and use yeah. like Glas- actual Glaswegian slang yeah um, he wore a wristwatch with a white leather strap and some sort of metal pin on his lapel that he apparently kept on touching as if he was trying to hide it alright so, so interesting because you can that can be used as kind of a so like a tattoo for example yeah so like, does it have like, any tattoo like if it was really detailed yeah that. Uh, she said, Jeannie also said she assumed that he must have previously worked in the military mm-hmm. because he had an authoritative and slightly condescending manner. Um, which is interesting. She must obviously know. Well, actually, her 
sister, husband, or oh, brother-in-law yeah. would have been he worked in the, the navy. I think it said. Um, Corporal some. He also Amazing. mentioned that he was really fond of golf and he played with his cousin a lot. Okay. Uh, Jeannie said that as the car ride kind of progressed, she felt as though the man saw her as a kind of inconvenience to him. Like her presence in the taxi was, she felt as if he was just trying to get rid of her, which not knowing what what was going to happen, it could have just been like, oh, she probably he probably just wanted her out of the way so he could go home with his sister and shag her. Basically. <laughs> um, he also spoke in depth about religion, stating he grew up in a very strict religious household with his sister. He also commented on his parents, stating that his father had a particular distaste for dance halls, saying they were, quote, dens of inequity, <laughs> which is really ironic because he's there just as much as everyone else is, especially on a Thursday night, which <laughs> is arguably one of the most controversial nights we could have went to dance halls no, at that time. Um, he also said that women who went to dance halls were, quote, adulterous. And this, that he goes home That he also that. goes to, yeah, and wants to go home with. But, I mean, you know, go off. This just gives us an insight into the motive for these crimes. Because if he sees adultery as a sin and a oh, punishable, yeah. punishable offence, he might have been seeking out these women because he deemed them to be impure or, you know, a, a so sinful. To, like, rid the world of these women. Yeah. Okay, so this is the probable motive behind the killing. That's probably why he did yeah. it. He apparently also quoted religious scripture during the taxi ride home from the Old Testament. Oh, what a freak. And even went as far to let the girls know these strict religious views stating, quote, I don't dance at Hugmini, I pray. Which, get off your high horse, you're at these dance halls just as much as everyone else. Like, Stop being a fucking weirdo. Like, I'll, like, do whatever you want, but see when you're pure, like, shoving it down people's Yeah, throats. being a pure militant, religious, yeah, it's yeah. just like, come on. Pure but Westboro Baptist Church type shit. Yeah, like, literally, like, just completely off your heads. With officials eager to connect with new murderers and the huge media coverage mm-hmm. the murderers were receiving, the stories of the taxi ride home made the papers and tabloids all over the city and all over the country. Yeah. And because of the report of the religious scripture and the comments that Jeannie had reported he was making, mm-hmm. the tabloids named the killer Bible John. And that's where that's the name Bible John yeah. comes from. He was dubbed Bible John. So I think we'll leave it there because we've covered a lot. Oh. There's a lot to digest. I mean, and You spoke more than me, but I'm actually dying for a drink. Yeah, <laughs> well, like a, a drink of alcohol. No, like, well, I mean, yeah, but I, I'm driving. But water. Oh, right, okay. No, I thought you might, like, I need to, you needed a gin after hearing all that. I was like, bitch, me too. I mean, that was a lot. Yeah, but the but, Fiat can't drive itself, so. But, yeah, <laughs> so I think we're going to leave it there because if I had to talk anymore, I think my tongue would fall out. <laughs> um, Part two, we're going to be going into more of the police investigation and potential suspects and leads, as well as theories surrounding the case. So that's what you've got to look forward so to. exciting. But for now, we will leave it there. Um, thank you for listening. <laughs> How did you find that, Jay? Yeah, I, yeah. Our podcast? I just felt like I was having a conversation with you. Yeah, I think half the time I forget that the mic's there and yeah. then you just kind of roll with it. But regardless, that's all we've got for you today. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening and come back next week for the, the rest of this case. Bye. Ooh. Welcome to the place.